0: is just handing around some pens uh, in case you want to take any notes. There's there's, um, an outline of where we're going for grown-ups in these worksheets, and the space for notes if you want to. That helps you kind of concentrate. I know it helps me. Uh, Children, there's um, these uh, clipboards which have a booklet uh, with some questions, which um, uh, if you find all the answers to afterwards, come and see me and I'll see if I can give you a treat. Um, But um, as we uh, uh, Okay, going. I've got, I've got a question. Have you ever f- uh, heard that phrase, um, "How to live your best life"? Living your best life. Have you heard that? That's, that's, a kind of in vogue uh, phrase at the moment. It's, it's really popular. And, and today's passage uh, here in the Bible, although it's written nearly two thousand years ago, uh, has a great deal to say to us about living your best life. Now, this is a, a, a true story. Uh, in John uh, chapter 2, as is the rest of um, what's in this this book. Um, So let's just uh, start by going through what happens, because it's a pretty extraordinary story, and and as we do that, kids, there are some questions to answer as we go through what's happening, as well as what it means. Now, it's um, it's three days after the conversation that we heard last week, if you were here last week in church, uh, with uh, Nathaniel. And um, and there's this wedding happening, and Jesus is there, uh, along with his um, disciples. And um, uh, the fact that Jesus is there, I mean, they they don't know it, but uh, if they did, well, that's one lucky bride and groom, right? To have the the Son of God there as one of the guests at your wedding. I mean, weddings can be quite nervous for the bride and groom. Imagine if you had the Son of God himself there uh, watching. But, but perhaps um, uh, we think that the weddings in our day are kind of over the top. I, I, I hear that the average amount spent... Well, does anyone know, have a guess, what the average amount spent on a wedding at the moment in the UK is? The average, so... £10,000. 10,000. It's over £16,000 over £16, on the average wedding. Um, now um, that sounds pretty over the top. Uh, that's, by the way, it's not including kind of engagement ring and honeymoon, all of those things <laughs> that go along with it. But, but, but in, in those days, back in the first century, a wedding wouldn't just be, you know, a, an afternoon or a day. It, it would last a whole week, or perhaps even two weeks. That was a serious party. It's a big deal, and, and it really was taken very seriously. Um, it, it, this is a culture; it's a culture which is a bit different. To, to ours in England in in the 21st century and that the the big thing for people wasn't kind of personal fulfilment and happiness uh, and and, and feeling. It it was honour or shame. That was the big, the the kind of key thing that that people cared about most um, in general. And and so uh, weddings were were a key moment uh, for the honour of the family Um, and if something goes wrong then that's a big deal. And so when we find out in this wedding that the wine has run out, and that's the responsibility of the groom, by the way, to provide for um, all of the guests for, for this week-long uh, feast. Uh, the, the wine has run out. That is a serious issue. It, it's not just a kind of um, peripheral thing. This is a, a, a shame thing. And, and, and just to, to clarify, um, wine then isn't exactly the same as wine now. It's drunk at maybe a third to a tenth of the strength. Um, and um, uh, what we've got would be considered like a strong drink, uh, which is actually warned against in, in the Bible. But, but then it would have been a, a much kind of lighter thing. And it was the kind of standard fare, the standard drink. It's what they'd all have been drinking. And it probably would have been all they would have had to, to drink. Um, so running out is a big deal. When Jesus' mum sees that the rock wine is running low and then she sees the last of it being poured out, she's really nervous for the bride and groom, and she nudges Jesus and whispers, look, the wine is gone. Jesus, do something. Uh, so she clearly thinks he can. That, that's an interesting She clearly thinks that her son, who obviously she's raised from childhood, can do something about this wine problem. But Jesus' response isn't what we'd expect, is it? Do you notice that? If you've closed, if you've closed your Bibles, open them back up again. It's page 1064. Um, he says, "Oh, I guess you might expect him to say, oh yeah, that is a problem, there we go, all done. He doesn't. He says, verse 4, uh, have a look down. Woman, why do you involve me? And he's putting distance there between himself and his mum, isn't he? Uh, woman, woman isn't quite what it sounds like, it's not so rude as it sounds, it's more like mum. Or it's a polite, it's a polite thing, but it's a distance thing. Um, he's not saying mother. Um, he's kind of saying, what, what claim have you got on me that you can ask me to do this? And, and he says, my my hour hasn't yet come. That's the reason. My hour, my time isn't here yet. Now Mary isn't put off, is she? She she kind of perseveres. <laughs> I perhaps you think that's a bit bold. <laughs> she, she just sounds like she ignores what Jesus says. She just turns to the servants and says, do what he tells you. Uh, he's going to do it. Do what he tells you. Um, she knows what Jesus is like, his goodness, and his compassion and kindness. He wouldn't just leave this room to, to suffer this shame. So that's why she, she keep, keep, keeps going. She perseveres, trust him. She says, follow his commands. And boy, does it work out well when they do. Um, th- th- these uh, six stone water jars are massive containers. When, when, um, when Alison and I got married, or before we got married, we, we uh, took a road trip to Calais you know, under the, the tunnel and um, uh, you know, stopped up our, our little car we had at the time uh, with bottles of wine. Um, and, um, and that was pretty, pretty rad, you know, the car with these boxes of, of, of wine for a big wedding. Uh, but... Um, these water containers would have contained enough wine that without us in the car, or any bottles, just with liquid, it would have filled the car up to the brim. And this is bathfuls and bathfuls of wine. It's loads and loads. And as the uh, Mater d' uh, tastes the wine, he is astonished. You know, this guy is used to weddings, presumably, and, and, and he... He thinks it's so amazing that he interrupts the groom in the middle of the celebrations and he kind of calls him aside and says, have you made a mistake here? This, this is the really, really good stuff you're giving. I mean, you know, lots of these people are drunk. They won't tell the difference. This is like the best stuff that you're giving out. And we're halfway through. And the disciples, um, John writes, so they see what's happened. And they are chuffed because they've thrown their lot in with Jesus. They followed him, and now they believe. They see what Jesus is like. What life with Jesus is going to be like. What living this life, following Jesus, can be like. Real life, full life, eternal life. And that's why this is a story all about living our best life. And it shows us uh, how to do it. And I just want to draw out two, two things um, which help us know how to uh, have what this sign is pointing towards. Um, and they're in your booklets. Um, the first thing is that we're to believe. We're to believe. Uh, now, um, believing isn't just knowing. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. John says that's the point of his whole gospel, that we can believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just knowing. It, it does mean knowing, realising that's what he's like. But it's more than that. It's a little bit like knowing that this chair, I mean, this, sorry, uh, this chair, I mean, you know, you came in, you might think, oh, these folding chairs, they can be a bit dodgy, they're a bit rickety, but other people are sitting in them, they're probably fine. There's a difference between being able to say that that chair will hold the weight of a human being and then actually kind of sitting down and putting your weight on it. You See what I mean? And um, Hopefully you weren't too nervous about that. These are working chairs. Just, <laughs> there aren't any dodgy ones that we put out just to test you. These are working chairs. But, but believing means actually being willing to, to do it, knowing and acting on it. And, and it's the same with Jesus. When we're talking about believing in Jesus, we're not just saying knowing That he is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. We're saying acting on that is what believing looks like. And that's how John says we can have life to the full. By believing we may have life. Now, last week we did see that um, believing in Jesus means believing that that he is everything that God promised. And, And therefore... One of the ways that the Old Testament describes everything that God promised is that he can bring abundant and overflowing life. Okay, so um, uh, one of the ways it describes that uh, in the Old Testament is um, uh, abundance. And it uses the picture of wine. Uh, so, for instance, in, in Amos, you don't need to turn there, in Amos chapter 9... Verse 13, you could, you could jot it down and have a look at, at what Amos chapter 9 is all about. It talks about when, um, uh, when God's rescue happens, uh, new wine will drip from the mountains and wine will flow from the hills. Because there'll just be so much of it, is the picture. It'll, it'll be wonderful. It'll be a feast forever. And the Old Testament says when God's rescue happens. Celebration, party. Goodness, abundance. And so how do we have that? Well, we believe. And we see more about what that looks like in in this story. Mary, um, Jesus' mum, perhaps she had some responsibility for for the catering in in, in the wedding, we don't don't know. But she clearly feels bound up um, with with the, the, the bride and groom. And her response is to turn to Jesus. When there's a problem that she sees, her response is to turn to Jesus. She thinks he can fix it. She doesn't just know that. When there's a problem, she turns to Jesus. And even after his rebuke, and we'll come back to that. Don't worry, we'll we'll, um, we'll think about what that means when Jesus rebukes her. But she persists in the confidence that he can sort it out, and he wants to sort it out. Her response is, do whatever he tells you uh, to the servant's. And I think those, those words are meant to have a kind of double meaning for us. Not just the servants are meant to do what he says so that this, this miracle can happen. It makes sense for the servants, do whatever he tells you. But it also makes sense for us, do whatever he tells you. It makes sense for us, if, if, for, for anyone who wants to experience the work of Jesus in their life, who wants to experience the life that Jesus has to offer, do whatever he tells you. Now, but when I say, do whatever he tells you, I'm not talking about a kind of, in a sense, I feel like this is where God wants me to go. That's not what, what I mean, and I don't think that's what believing is really about. When I say, do whatever he tells you, I'm talking about what he has definitely said in black and white. Uh, the, the claim of the Bible is that this is all, from beginning to end, Jesus' words, and it is for us. Do whatever he tells you, i.e., listen to what the Bible says and do it. And that's wrapped up in belief. That's what believing looks like. Now, we'll only do that if we recognize that the wine has run out in our lives. See what I mean? Only if we, we get a sense that the wine in our lives has run out. And if we get verse 11. Uh, on page 1065, uh, that the, this sign reveals his glory, and so his disciples believe in him. Th- th- if we see that Jesus can bring the glory days, and so we go his way, it, it's, it's precisely um, seeing that there is a better life. There is a best life that we can live, and it is the life of faith in Jesus. If we want to live our best lives, we need to listen to Jesus, go to him, and do what he tells us. We can throw an our love at Jesus, because this is the sort of life that he can bring. Now, I think I became a Christian when I was a teenager, partly because I, I felt like there was no wine in my life. I, I wanted to experience life as a teenager, I, I, to have all that life had to offer, but I felt... You know, with everything I was trying, a a, a restlessness, a sense of longing for more, more meaning and purpose and joy and fullness. And I think, actually, lots of us experience that that at different points in our life, um, as uh, Christians or as non-Christians. But that's one of the big things that pushed me towards Jesus. Uh, Because believing in Jesus means realising that wine won't come from anywhere else this sort of wine, the full life. That the best life, living our best life, is impossible without him. And he can deliver on it. And and, and that means we must throw our lot in, we must sit on the chair. And remember, that's the whole goal of this gospel, is to enable us to believe and have life uh, in Jesus, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It means realising and then acting on the truth that Jesus and Jesus alone can supply rich and abundant life. So do you believe that? If you do, what does believing that actually look like in your life at the moment? When there's a difference between um, what we fancy doing and what we think will make life better and what Jesus says in the Bible, which one will we choose? Will we believe Je- Jesus, or will we go our way? Uh, here's a for instance. If if I listen to my own heart, often influenced by, by films, or, or, or the news, or, or telly, or whatever, then whenever I have um, spare time, I'll use it to do what I feel like. Um, so perhaps watch Netflix, or... Uh, the Olympics, or um, uh, the football, and, and see Liverpool storming to another premiership win this season. Uh, but, but if I listen to Jesus, that's that, um, if I listen to Jesus, I'll, I'll hear that, that actually he has lots that he wants to teach me, to give me, for the best life that I can live. And so I'll spend some of that time, instead of just doing what I feel like doing, or what I think might make my life more manageable or, or, or better. And that goes for, for more productive things, by the way. You know, making, making um, tidying, or making a house, whatever it is. Things that I'm not inclined to do, generally. Um, but, but, but instead of all of those things, even if they're productive things, um, i want to go to Jesus in whatever way I can. Let his words get into me and, and, and start dictating the way, way that I live. So, so I'll spend some of that time maybe reading or listening to the Bible. Or, or reading Christian books, or, or, or talking to, to other Christians, one thing that I know that some people in our church family are, are, are doing is meeting up with another Christian week by week, so that they can together discuss a bit of the Bible and how, how it actually how responding to it well looks in their life, and praying that through, and talking about life more generally. That's a brilliant way of believing, of, of doing what, what John is talking about. Or or, uh, perhaps getting together with um, three or four others uh, from church and um, going through a a Christian book. And feel free to ask me for a recommendation. I can give you one. Uh, Or link you up with some others. And there are all sorts of of ways to to believe Jesus, to put this into practice, to have his words in our life more and more. And believing Jesus means, like Mary says, doing whatever he tells us. there we go. That's the first big thing. The second big thing this passage tells us about how we can live our best life, is a surprising one. Uh, It's not what our culture says at all, uh, and that is to wait. Our culture is much more okay with the idea of believing in something than the idea of waiting. If we want to live our best life, we must believe and we must wait. Kids, you have to fill in something on your sheets at that point. Feel free to ask your parents, parents and, and, and others in church by the way, feel free to keep chatting to your children and talking them through if they're not quite following uh, or struggling to concentrate, it's fine. Um, but, but waiting can be hard, can't it? I think for all of us, whatever age, waiting for things can be a bit tricky. Does anyone find waiting hard sometimes? Hands up if you do. Yeah, most of us. Any children want to say something that, that they find waiting for hard, anything you find hard to wait for? It's hard to wait patiently, isn't it? Hard to wait happily, yeah. Anything particular to wait for that you find it hard to wait, you just want now. Delicious things. Yes, there might even be some delicious things after church. You might have to wait until you can eat them. So you have, to, you have to do some waiting. Retirement can be hard to wait for, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you have to wait a long time, yeah? Christmas can be hard, and I'm sorry, there's quite a long time to wait for Christmas at the moment. Only four months. Only four months. Do you know how many days? No, okay. So, well done. You're not, you're not counting down every day. Um, but I sometimes find it hard to wait for big things and little things. Sometimes I find it hard to wait for dinner, so I have a sneaky snack. Um, but it can be hard to wait. And it is hard to wait in the way that this passage is te- teaching us too. But if we want to experience the best life, we, we need to learn how. And this is the key, we can't, this passage is saying, we can't live our best lives now. We can't have all the best that life has to offer now. I think that's one thing um, that that is a struggle for for everyone uh, who's following Jesus. Now, this comes back to that thing that, that was really odd in the passage that we read, which was Jesus' response to his mum when she uh, says, do something, Jesus. Um, so before the, the kind of blessing that he responded, he responds with a, with, a, with a rebuke. And it's probably because Mary seems to presume on the fact that she is his mum. So, you know, Jesus, you're my son, do something here. And um, although Jesus is the most parent-honoring child who's ever walked the earth, he's very firm that when it comes to his God-given job of bringing life, to the world, there is no nepotism, there's no favoritism. It doesn't matter uh, who we are, who our family is, uh, whether um, uh, we're we're from the the remotest tribe in Australasia or a Jew of Jerusalem, Jesus is just accessible for any of us, for the worst criminal or for the most religious. Jesus offers life to anyone who would believe. And so Jesus puts distance in that regard between himself and his mother. Uh, Mom, what right have you got to tell me what to do? But the reason that he gives is is really interesting. Perhaps it surprised you. He says, um, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And that's a phrase that keeps coming up again and again throughout John's Gospel. John uh, 7, verse 6, verse 30, John 8, verse 20. My hour has not yet come. My time is not yet here. And then in the second half of John's Gospel, it switches. Uh, Verse 12, verse uh, sorry, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 17. The hour has now come. And we'll see that more uh, when we get there at some point, uh, when we get there in John's Gospel. But, but even then, actually, in, in chapters 12, 13, 17 and onwards in John's Gospel, it's only partially come, the time has only partially come. Uh, but but let, me, let me unpack a little bit what, what, that, what that means. Jesus came to a world in darkness to bring light. He came to a world which is in rebellion against God to, to rescue some. To bring them back to God. And the hour of overflowing wine, which God's rescuer brings, had not come yet when Jesus said this. The rescue still had to happen. Uh, He wasn't just going to give wine to, to all of those in rebellion against God. The rescue has to happen. The turnaround has to happen. Sin and rebellion still held sway over the world. And then, the switch halfway through John's Gospel is when the moment of the cross comes. Because when Jesus goes to the cross, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as we saw um, last time. He's led to the slaughter and takes the punishment in our place. The rescue happens there. The hour comes then, And life arrives for Jesus' followers as, as he... Goes to the cross and then comes back to life and ascends to reign with his Father in heaven as he's doing now. The hour of life has come. And yet, it hasn't fully come yet. In a sense, it's still not here. Because all those promises of the Old Testament only fully come true when he comes back again, which we're waiting for. He hasn't come back again yet. He will. And when he comes back to get rid of all of the sin and rebellion in the world, then the world will be as it should be. And there will be wine flowing from the hills. There will be no end to the feasting and parting and celebration. Only then will life be free of the the sin and the pain and the despair and emptiness and loneliness uh, and so on. So, Part of trusting that Jesus can give the best life is realizing that that is now. We've got to wait for it. That He's not giving us the best yet. And that's tough. But what does it look like to, to wait then? What does it mean to wait for the best life? I think it means not doing what our culture tells us to do in terms of having life, living the best life now. So not. Doing those things like travelling the world, living for holidays and experiencing everything that this world has to offer. We don't need to worry about experiencing everything that this world has to offer. We've got all eternity for that. We don't need to perfect our house or our um, kind of living arrangements or our job or, or whatever. We wait for the best life. Instead, we, we, we invest in when life will really be great. We invest in the eternal life that Jesus came to offer. We invest our time and our money and our energy and, and so on. We don't worry about being spent here and now and, and feeling a, a, a bit more tired than we want to feel. It means not being comfortable here. So we're on a journey. And it's a bit, it's a bit like being on, on, on a physical journey. And um, Alison and I were, were thinking we might next summer um, drive the family down to the south of France, uh, which um, in some ways a bit, is a bit like deciding to um, go to the dentist with perfectly healthy teeth and ask them to, to drill a hole in one of your teeth or something like that. Um, no, it's, it's not quite like, like that. You, you know, we reckon there will be good stuff. <laughs> In the journey but, but really the journey is, is so you can get somewhere right? And, and this life now it is actually about what, what's going to come. Yes there is, there is glorious stuff now and we have a real relationship with God and, and he loves us and we can enjoy that but we're waiting to, to be with him to have the, the flowing wine to have the abundant feast when Jesus comes back we're on a journey and, and this, this story is a picture of what it will be like when we get to the destination, when we, we're with life perfectly and totally ruled by Jesus, and um, carfuls of wine, and the, the, the sort of wine that, that they can take, you've saved the best till now, where Jesus' glory is fully revealed. And that doesn't mean kind of cherubs floating on clouds with harps, kind of... You know, floating around in the sky. It's more like the best sort of wedding. The best wedding you've ever been to, times a thousand. With loads of the best food and wine and company and everything that makes life good. Real, physical, tasty, pleasurable, abundant, overflowing life. (coughs) That's what it will be like when Jesus comes back for those who believe in him. This uh, story is a little picture for us of what heaven is going to be like. And there are lots more pictures as we go through the Gospel. But isn't it wonderful? I don't know if you've thought about this before, if you are a Bible reader. Isn't it wonderful that the first miraculous sign that John records for us isn't really a reversal of a wrong, like someone being injured and being healed. This is providing abundant, delicious wine. And that's a picture of our life with Jesus' life. Delightful, joyful, communal, limitless life. It's a picture of the Old Testament uses again and again, and for good reason, because we need something to look forward to if we're waiting. Now don't you want that? Don't you want that? Each of us, if we want it, can have it. However we feel like things are going, it's open to all of us. And all the best things in this world point us forward to what it can be like. This is how we can live our best life. We believe and we wait. Now there, there are some questions um, to, to think about, perhaps to, to chat about afterwards um, at the bottom of, of uh, the, those uh, sermon notes in your, in your booklets. and So please do um, have a read of those and think about them. Perhaps chat, chat to someone. Don't be embarrassed uh, to bring up something significant. Uh, everyone here is... Um, is, I think, up for that. Is that right? Give me a nod if if that's okay. Yeah, good. Okay, so don't be embarrassed about asking those kinds of questions. Um, But but for now, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. So if if the band could come up. It's it's a song that starts with this miraculous sign and leads us to reflect on what that means about our God, what he's like. And... So uh, please, uh, as the music starts, stand and, and join in as we sing about our God.